My name is Sister Prince. Today is Tuesday, September 12, 1989. I am interviewing Mrs. Melba Sweets for the St. Louis Oral History Project of the Missouri Historical Society. Mrs. Sweets was an elementary school teacher, a wife, a mother, and a journalist. She was actively involved in the community and was married to Nathaniel A. Sweets, the publisher of the St. Louis American, a black newspaper. Uh, Mrs. Sweets, are you, um, would you tell me uh, when you were born? Does that uh, no, it doesn't bother you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm 80 years old when you get to be 80, you, you brag about your okay. age. <laughs> um, I was born February 26, 1909, 1909. and in St. Louis. All right. Mm -hmm. um, who, who is part of your family at that time? I was an only child. I only had um, my mother and my father, two uncles. I, and they didn't have any children, so I had not even any cousins. Mm. And where did you no. live? I lived on Cold Brilliant, 4200 block of Cold Brilliant, which is what is known as the old um, Ville neighborhood. Mm. I'm sure you've learned something about the Ville yes. by now. Yes, yes. Over right just a few blocks east of here. T uh, talk about the Ville for the people that are going to listen to this tape and explain what it is, oh, what it was. That, at that time, it was a center of um, happy social life, quiet, and quiet little businesses. Uh, black people had moving businesses, grocery stores, a drug store, all sorts of little neighborhood services. And it was a pleasant, quiet neighborhood centered around uh, Sumner High School, which, you know, was one of the oldest black high schools at that time. All of them were segregated, but it became, it was a real center of learning too, with Poro College was in the Ville, mm -hmm. which was the, um, the um, beauty culture school. It was founded by Annie Hope Turnbull Malone, mm -hmm. <laughs> who built, who was probably the first black millionaire in St. Louis, I think. And she built uh, what was known as Poro College. It was a beauty school. But it also housed a little theater and a roof garden where people had wonderful summer parties. Uh, um, the houses were all simple. Every nobody was rich, but Mrs. Malone and maybe two or three doctors. Few of us had cars. We didn't have any. I lived in a 4200 block, which was between Whittier and Pendleton, in a four-family flat. And my father, uh, who was a porter, no. He had come here as a porter. His first job was a porter at um, Union Electric. And we lived in this little flat where we heard, uh, I mean, everything was uh, quiet. We didn't hear sirens like I hear passing here all the time. Just a happy neighborhood where people knew each other. And my father was struggling to uh, rise somewhere. We didn't know about the corporate ladder in those days, but we had um, smells in our kitchen every evening when he got home from his porter's job, um, learning more about chemistry. He took his chemistry by correspondence and did his experiments on the kitchen stove. 
And when he died in 19, oh, well, when he retired, I should say, in 1944, he was the chief chemist at the Ashley Street plant of Union Electric. <laughs> We're very proud of him. It's in a, it's in a book that N.B. Young, you know, and do you ever see N.B. Young's uh, Your St. Louis and Mine? Yes, I do. Um, his pictures in, in there as um, the chemist. That book has a lot about the bill in it. I guess you have one at the... Mm -hmm. What else? Is there any struggles? Um, what else? Uh, what school did you go to? Oh, I went to school right there and walked within walking distance. I went to Simmons School mm -hmm. and Marshall School, which was on two blocks away. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, then I went to Sumner High School, mm -hmm. and then to Teachers College here, and then to Howard University. <laughs> uh, what What was life like? Um, you, uh, it was segregated at that time. Oh yes, everything was segregated. Well, not everything. No, thank Lord, the library was not segregated. I always think of. In the deep south, you know, uh, black children couldn't go to the libraries. Libraries were not segregated, and the buses, I mean, we had didn't have buses, and we had streetcars mm -hmm. when I was a child. They were not segregated. Two things that always make me feel that St. Louis, my father used to call St. Louis up south. Up south. <laughs> he came from Memphis, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, we used talk often about how different it was in the deep south, mm -hmm. that there were these places with water fountains for white only. We never had that. The, we never had segregation in the parks, except now in the neighborhood park over here at fairgrounds. I remember as a little girl sitting on the grass watching all the white children Mm, oh, <laughs> um, sitting on the grass in the park, finding pleasure in watching the white children in the waiting pool where I couldn't go. And for some reason or other, I think we were all so conditioned that we accepted it. I sat there and watched them and was delighted as if I was watching a performance. I, and now that I'm old, I can't imagine. But this is the way things were. We lived in our own little world. We, we were happy with it. And there wasn't a lot of talk about what we did not like, for some reason or other. It's a, I'm very sorry that I don't know more about my Parent, uh, can go farther back in um, genealogical uh, study to find out anything about my uh, great great grandparents because I think maybe my father and my mother were, and their parents, maybe their grandparents, weren't too far removed from slavery. And in those days, we didn't, I don't think they wanted to talk about it. I think um, my grandmother, for instance, was a very fair woman, which of course meant that her uh, father must have been a slave master, you know. <laughs> That's you're why we're all so mixed up. You're, you're very fair. <laughs> I don't call myself very fair. Oh, really? <laughs> I'm what you call uh, tan. tan? <laughs> okay. I how, don't know. How is that um, amongst blacks, Negroes, colored? How did that? How did that make a difference? And did it make a difference as the years have changed? Mm, yes, it did. I mean, um, I remember when I was uh, soon after I married, I had a babysitter. I was working then at the newspaper, and she was looking at an album 
of old pictures of my high school days and college days. And she was a very dark woman. And she startled me one day when she said, Miss Sweets, how come there ain't no black folks in any of these pictures? Didn't you associate with any dark people? You know, I was really shocked to think that that was true. There was a time when I think something was so ingrained in our mentality about the superiority of white people that we wanted to be as white as we could. I mean, there were those days when uh, there were products, um, lotions and ointments and things that were advertised in black newspapers to whiten your skin, which I mean, you know, was really ridiculous. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes, and my mother, oh, her picture said, well, there's my mother, you see. She wasn't exactly really fair-skinned, but she's light-skinned, and my father was a little darker. In the blue dress? No, my mother, here, the, the man oh, and right the woman here. right there. Oh, mm -hmm. yeah. That's, that's my mother. So you see by her features and all, and her mother was fairer than she was, mm -hmm. but my grandfather was dark. But it struck me that, th that this is true. I mean, if you look at the pictures up there, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, <laughs> they're all nearly all those are my children my relatives my grandchildren now see that middle one where you are right there in the middle there mm -hmm. now that is my darker son and he has a darker wife so you see all of the children are brown mm -hmm. but the rest of them uh, their uh, last one over there on the right on the far right yeah. is my daughter and her daughter, she's the one who was, um, uh, that we had made with the picture for the symphony. You see, she could easily be white. Yes. But you know, she isn't. Oh, that's another story you remind me to mm -hmm. tell you about my granddaughter. Um, they're all handsome, and they are, uh, for the most part, as you said. Um, so there was a time, oh, it was definitely true. I mean, I could pull out pictures and show you my mother's club when she was uh, in her 20s, I guess. And there's one dark woman on it. Excuse me. Are you I'm saying that? Loud enough. <laughs> Are you saying that? Um, that when you were fair, you sought out people that were... I think we yeah. did it unconsciously. I don't think that we could have been so cruel that we deliberately excluded. And I know that my neighbor next door here uh, is uh, from New Orleans, Creole. And we've talked about this many times and she said that in the days when they had the, the balls that lead that precede the uh, Mardi Gras season you know mm -hmm. that uh, the men could be dark but the women never were they always chose the fairest mm -hmm. people and it's conditioning. Did you see the recent uh, thing on television? Race. A black and uh, black race. and white America. Was I was in uh, I was in Denver and I didn't see it all, but I saw the very beginning. I think maybe I need to put him outside. I want to turn that off while? Uh, it was two weeks ago. I was in Denver when they had this special. It was on. Was it on Channel 9 or was it on, um, oh, you told me. <laughs> Black and White um, America. 
There, it was there have been two. One was Black and White America, and the other one was Race, uh, and that was on, I think, Channel 5. So well, which are the one about? that I saw okay. the beginning of, in, um, and it was referred to again in an article in the Post-Dispatch afterward, that when children, little black children, were shown pictures of the dolls, did yeah. you see that yes. part? And always the little black child, when asked which was the most beautiful doll, picked out the white child, the, the white doll. That was an ex experiment. If you want to talk about that, that was done a number of years ago. Mm. That was not a recent experiment. No, it was recent. Well, they, there was one done, um, oh, I think in the 30s and the 40s. Oh. They just did, was this one? Well, I think this one no. said it was recent. Uh, I, I'm not sure enough. I'm not sure, but I think it's quite possible that the same thing mm -hmm. would happen with children now who haven't been taught and nurtured. I noticed on this last uh, one that I saw, which was Channel 5, called Race, R period, A period, C period, E period, which was about a week ago. I didn't see Brian that. Gumbel, I, no, I didn't see that. Or was it, maybe it was the other one. But the, this one was the correspondence, I just saw the very end mm -hmm. of it, so I think it's the same one because I just come in from out of town. But the correspondence were very fair. The yeah, they were. They Got were to all think of it. And I, it was just the tail end of it, and I thought, that's strange. And then mm -hmm. when I remarked to, about that to somebody, they said that the program had not been that way. Mm, no, no. But I mm -hmm. sort of noticed that. Just um, was it, um, would you call it a social status type of? I think so, yeah. yeah. Now, how has that changed through the years? Oh, I, I think it has changed markedly in, uh, in recent years. Um, yes. It's changed even in the Deep South. I think maybe much of this came from the Deep South because there were, was so much uh, interracial uh, lovemaking, <laughs> clandestine, <laughs> clandestine lovemaking, that the fair-skinned women were considered uh, superior because of their looks. That's, that's all it was. And, and, and that's the trouble now, I think, with little um, black, really black, black children are sort of looked upon even by black people. I have to it's something that's ingrained, I think, in the mentality. It's most unfortunate. Well, even with the emphasis on black is beautiful and um, that has not changed? It has changed to an extent, to some extent. But as long as... Um, the economical uh, status re remains that it is as it is, and all over the world it's the same way. I mean, in um, South America, for instance, where there's so much um, interracial marriage and all, it's still the darkest people who are on the bottom. Now except for exceptional people. It's, um, it's most unfortunate that to be really dark-skinned, you've got to be not only twice as good, but three times as good, because of just the people look at you and say, black is not beautiful to most white people. I'm thinking in terms of the athletes. The athletes are yeah. exceptional people. Right. They're all right. 
Ozzy Smith is, is, is beloved by everybody. <laughs> you go out to his place that he has out there in, uh, at Westport, you don't even see any black customers. It's packed like this with white people because he is the exception. He's a great athlete and he's a nice person too. And he's intelligent too. It happens. I mean, you, you just see people in the malls, for instance, and you can look at a family. I saw a beautiful family the other day when my daughter was here. We were down Union Station at the movies. And it's rather exceptional to see. said it was... Uh, not usual to see a, an entire black family go um, to the movies. It, it, it's just so uh, nice to see. We saw a mother and father and uh, three little kids uh, going to the movies together. But it's something you just don't see much. I mean, these were all dark-skinned people. And it, it just uh, it did my soul good to look at them. It's just a pleasure to see them, but with them, with most of us, no, uh, no matter what color skin, uh, being still on the bottom of the heap, I guess it's something that's ingrained in the white mentality just as this has been ingrained in the black. This matter of inferiority or superiority. I still see it. Um, and I still feel it as old as I am. How do you 80 years old. How and, do you feel it now? And I can... Uh, go into a place, a store, uh, and still feel either a little bit angry at a response that I get, or pleased when someone is gracious. <laughs> you know, I shouldn't feel that way, but it's, I do. It, um, I mean, I was in this summer with uh, that youngest granddaughter, um, got a scholarship to um, Ames uh, University, uh, Iowa State at Ames, at a dance program sponsored by the uh, Des Moines Ballet. And we went up there to pick her up. Now, I've never been in, um, in a small town very much. And all the people there seemed so polite, so kind, so friendly. And I thought, why is this? I always heard about Iowa. And I came back and I said it to someone here. And someone said, well, don't you know that Iowa has the highest state of literacy? or did have in the United States, whether they're still number one or not, I don't know. I heard it more than once. But then, a few weeks later, I went for the first time to Sedalia, Missouri. <laughs> Growed all, all, all these years, never been in a small town very much. And there was the same thing. And then you hear about the people in the Deep South, where the the housing patterns are not as they are here, where white and blacks live next door to each other, even if they couldn't go to the movies or anywhere together, that they're friendly. And I come to the conclusion that it's just uh, maybe the big city mentality now, I mean, in the in the 80s, or not oh, far, a little farther back, that in the small towns, the relationships 
between whites and blacks are much simpler, much pleasanter. Which again brings me back to economics, to the, the employment patterns and all. I don't know what is, I, I, I don't understand it really. <laughs> no, I don't know that anyone does. Um, let's go back to the bill in childhood mm -hmm. and um, said we were talking about segregation. Oh yeah, everything was, let's see what it was, it was not segregated. Um, the movie theaters were. The, um, the, oh, the amusement park that was... The Highlands? Uh, yeah, Forest Park Highlands. Was segregated. Was segregated. So we had only, but we could go to the park, to the zoo, but to the Missouri Botanical Gardens. I was lucky that I had a father and a mother who, and my father loved plants and we were regulars at the at Shaw's Garden mm -hmm. and, uh, and maybe that was good you know we we didn't have all of the, the really foolish things and the expensive things like Six Flags to take because we didn't have uh, television so we read books and we <laughs> we had uh, uh, clubs, reading clubs at the library. You, you you read so many books, and at the end of the term, end of the summer, I mean, summer reading. I think they still do that. Mm -hmm. uh, you they, get a, a ribbon or something for article. having read the most books. And so I came up um, reading two, three books a week, um, sometimes one a day. And so it was that. Um, I did the same thing with my children. My son, uh, well, we're getting, we want to stick back to mm -hmm. the olden days and get ahead. It sounds as though your parents or your father mm -hmm. uh, reached for the things that you could do and did them instead right. of uh, uh, dwelling on right. we didn't what you have, couldn't do. Yes, I wasn't, we were never um, angry. I mean, I can remember the riots. Uh, we lived on in a second floor flat, and uh, the riots in East St. Louis, way back, let's see. I think it was, yeah, it was earlier than that, I think. Yeah, I think it was. It was in teens somewhere where they had the big race riot in um, East St. Louis. And I can remember now standing on my back porch and seeing the fires from um, all the way down to the river you could see it was just awful and but then I thought I don't know that it had too much um, influence on on our lives at the time I mean of course I was a, ch a child in a cell born in 1909 that, that was, I was under 10 years of age, but it, I really remember it quite well, but it wasn't until I read a book, a recent book written by, uh, oh Lord, I can't think of her name, um, When and Where I Enter, have you heard, mm -hmm. heard of it? It's a wonderful book written by, I have a copy here, I can't think of her name right now. Um, it's even come out come out in paperback now. When and Where I Enter is a story of black women in um, race relations from the very beginning. And it was in that book that I read of the role of black women in the race riot in Memphis. And here, long after my parents are both dead, I'm thinking, I'll bet that's why my father left Memphis and came to St. Louis to live. Of course, my, and my, uh, because his father had uh, a business in Memphis and um, there was real strenuous um, uh, 
competition between the drayage business. I remember he said his father had carriage business and there was competition between the whites and blacks and, and, and in other businesses. And and I just piece things together now that my uncle who came here went into business. He had a grocery store. And my father, who hadn't had had a scholarship to Le Moyne University but couldn't afford to go, came here and determined to make him uh, make something of himself. So they had this determination and I'm sure that's why they moved away from Memphis because it was timed about the time my father must have come here. What was your what were your parents' names? Uh, Ficklin Oscar Ficklin F I C K L I N, which is a German name. Uh, if I can digress a minute, um, last year, uh, and I've always wanted to go to um, South Carolina. That's where my father's people came from. And last year, for the first time, we went with a group of friends to Hilton Head for Thanksgiving. I can't wait to go back this year. And we were on a bus, a sightseeing bus, to an island that I thought was still uh, reminiscent of Africa. I had wanted to go to see this, this island off the coast of South Carolina. I went to the wrong one. I went to the Fusky. That's why I can't wait to go back this year to go to St. Helena instead. Because the Fusky had been almost halfway developed into another Hilton Head. And I wasn't there long enough to seek out the, uh, the black group that I had wanted to see. So, um, the, uh, oh shucks. Now you see, well, this is what happens when you get, you should turn this thing off. When you get to be, yeah, I know. Uh, we went on the bus, uh, went across the, on a boat to the, to the Fusky Island, which I had all read up on and all going to learn more about these people that, and, and see the actual slave. And don't forget. Yeah, I'm not going to forget. <laughs> what I wanted to say was what a, a okay, go ahead. I uh, found over there uh, was um, on the bus that uh, we were riding in. At one point, they stopped and put on two white people. Now, here was a bus full of, of, of black sightseers, and these two people apparently were people who were interested in building a place over there or something. Anyway, they got on the bus and uh, they happened to sit right across from me and um, they overheard me say that uh, I had wanted to come to uh, South Carolina and to the islands off the coast because I knew that Thickland was such an odd name. I don't even know anybody else. I, Oh, that's another story, too. I ran into a girl at the airport uh, named Ficklin. And, um, and this white couple sitting opposite me heard me say that. And he leaned over and he said, Lady, you should spend more time around here. There are a lot of Ficklins around here. Oh. That's as much as I know. That's why I have to go back. Yeah, sure <laughs> um, how... How, um, what part did the church play in your life growing up or your family's life? Oh, uh, it played a great, uh, it had a great influence on me. My, uh, although my parents and my grandparents were all of different denominations. My father was both Baptist and Presbyterian. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and my mother was Methodist. My grandmother, I have a book upstairs that um, there's a little church over on the corner of St. Ferdinand and Pendleton Avenue. 
St. James AME Church, which has been there for years and years and years. My mother and my grandmother were members of that church. My, grand, my maternal grandfather, who had been a teacher, there's another departure from his uh, former residence. He lived in Paducah, Kentucky. And unfortunately, I did not heed the advice of a neighbor right over in the next block here who told me more than once that I should go to Paducah and see the people who knew my grandfather. And he said he was a teacher in Paducah. But I never knew that. He, here in St. Louis, he was a preacher on Sundays. He, he collected he was one of these people who went from door to door uh, collecting insurance premiums, you know, at 10 cents a, a week in the book. <laughs> that was his job. And he was very, very genteel. I always felt that, you know, back in his heritage, there must have been a true aristocrat because we used to laugh at him. He would come in from the cold and he would never do anything until he held his hands over the stove to, to um, dry, to wash his hands and to dry them carefully. He took such care of his hands. And um, it was a sign, I think, of way back, and he's never raised his voice. He never was uh, loud-mouthed like I grew to be. <laughs> my daughter still, I don't know why you keep pushing, you know, because my daughter tells me, I talk, Mother, you don't realize how loud you are talking. But my grandfather would say, quiet, quiet, Melba. And anything that was wrong, your petticoat is hanging a bit. Uh, it, it, it made me really want all of this uh, sit in my mind to go back to North Carolina and find something about where I came from originally. Uh, so at age 80, I'm looking forward to going back Good. again at Thanksgiving. But in the, the church was getting back to the church. You see, I, I go far afield. I'm trying to hold, hold, <laughs> hold me back. Go ahead. <laughs> the church. I like to hear you talk. We went, um, I went to the Methodist Church, the St. James Hammy Church, and my, where my grandmother founded the, what they call the cradle roll, which started the children in from birth and kept records and all that. And, and this was your mother's? My mother's mother. And we lived together. We lived on one, everywhere we lived together. My grandmother lived in the lower flat and we lived upstairs over here. Oh, the gentleman that you were talking about mm. before was your mother's father? Yeah, grandfather. yeah, my mother's father, yeah. I never knew my father's father, the paternal grandfather, but I did know my paternal grandmother, who I have pictures of her. She she was of Indian descent. Uh, it, it shows in his face a little. He, he had these, she had these long braids, um, and wore them just like an Indian. Did the, did the minister ever talk about segregation? Was that something that... No, I'm not much in those days. No, it was always, I think, uh, there again, handed down the slave um, belief in a better life to come. Suffering was always... Um, making the best of our lot. This is what the preachers said in those days. Pie in the sky, you know. Be good. Turn the other cheek. I don't think... No, there was never talk of hating no, there was more. Now this is something I need to think a little more about. <laughs> uh, there was more 
exhortation, I think, to submission, to being, staying in your place and looking for, uh, you know, relief and happiness in heaven. When did it occur to you that there might be a, another way for you? Oh, when I grew up, I, I left the Methodist church when I was a teenager, I went to the Episcopal Church because that's where many of my friends were. Here again, there were jokes, and many justified about the Episcopal Church because they said all the fair-skinned people went to the Episcopal Church. Now, I, I will not say that I went because of that reason, but I went because they had a jolly uh, club there that went on hikes and picnics and, and many of, some of my friends there, many of us just went to the Episcopal Church because, because of that. It wasn't the, that we received any more, any uh, more supportive spiritual <laughs> uh, advice. And so in the Episcopal Church, again, it was largely, um, again, just routine um, in, in the youth groups. We didn't do what youth groups do today, uh, talk about race relations and problems. We talked about going camping and doing little volunteer jobs. Uh, uh, it was pretty much, again, following the white pattern of the genteel church, you know. But then, oh, you don't want me to get ahead. Uh, church. Okay. Still on church as my children, I mean, to get up to my children in church. Oh, um, well, we'll wait, we'll wait. Um, um, did your mother work? Mm, no, uh, she had a part-time job during the war years. I mean, the first, the, what was that? The world first, first World War. 14, yeah. 16. When was that? 1914. Yeah, yeah. She had a part-time job then. But not regularly. She worked. I've forgotten. Isn't that, isn't that funny? I can't even think what it was she did. She did something at Poro College. And I don't know what it was at the moment. I guess. When, when I talk that there might be a better way uh, for you, uh, and when did you think about it? After you went to college here, and then you went to Howard mm. in Washington, D.C., um, but certainly things are different in Washington, D.C. Did you find them different? And um, no. Uh, you mean uh, uh, segregation patterns, mm -hmm. or you mean uh, thinking? Se no, whatever. Uh, Washington was just as segregated as St. Louis. It was. Yes, it was the same then. Mm -hmm. And um, the uh, schools, but in in a way, the segregation was good for our education because people who had doctorates in those days, black teachers, could not get jobs in universities. So that we had PhDs teaching us in high school. And we had, uh, oh, we had a wonderful Latin teacher here, Miss Cummings at Sumner High School. Same thing was, uh, oh, what was the name? I can't think of the name right now. Dunbar. Dunbar High School in Washington was as famous as Sumner here for the quality of its education. It, 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 it can be matched now. I, I, I have heard that it was mm -hmm. one of the finest was. places of education in this area. Yes. Um, yes. Yes, for white or black. I mean, it was better. Right. The black school then was better, was better 
than the quality of education because white people who were learned could get jobs in higher paying places. You know, we couldn't go to Washington U even, although it was founded by the uh, 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 Elliot, uh, Thomas, what is it, Thomas Elliot, who um, was a Unitarian. However, um, we couldn't go to the universities here. That's why I went off to Howard. But uh, no, there was not much difference at Howard in those days. It was pretty much the same. Howard University, Fisk University, wonderful centers of learning, but also with great emphasis on the social life, which was a little unfortunate. I mean, I think maybe if we had been thinking more about race relations then, maybe things would have been better, but no, we were having a good time mostly. At, at Howard University, <laughs> I have to admit. <laughs> um, you came back to St. Louis? Oh, I came back. I didn't finish college. Uh, I had finished Teachers College, and it was during the time of the Depression. And Teachers and College was? Was, was, um, Stowe. Uh, yes. And then, uh, I came back here and, and started teaching and didn't go back. I, I never did get my degree. Where did you teach? Uh, at uh, the same school where I had gone uh, uh, earlier to Simmons, Simmons, Cottage Avenue, portables. We had portable, schools were overcrowded at one time and there were portable rooms. Explain that, what uh, portable rooms? Portable rooms is, uh, a, a little separate house, a little separate um, building that was a one room. It would be a one room schoolhouse. Built on the playground. Built on uh, the, the grounds of Sumner because there wasn't room. Uh, Simmons, it was like, uh, I, I think they called, no, we called it Cottage Avenue School, but it was uh, sort of uh, connected with, with Simmons. Uh, no, we had a different principal though too. No, Cottage Avenue was just a little school by itself, but I was only there for a little while when I started, but it was an interesting experience to have, I think there were one, two, three, four, maybe four of these little houses on one end of Sumner High School and four at the other end. I think that's how it was, yes. And uh, we had our own little little furnace in the back and all. <laughs> you can't comprehend that, can you? Sure. They're sort of like the uh, the uh, uh, separate schools that have been placed in yards out up here, uh, right over in this neighborhood, um, Hamilton, for instance. They call it Hamilton Branch. It's a separate, but it isn't just one um, separate house. No. There uh, there are maybe six rooms. That, that they've built in recent years, fairly recent years, in schoolyards when it was overcrowded. But I taught in this little one room. It just had the one grade, however, third grade. Then I went to Marshall School, and uh, I ended up. Marshall was the last right over here, and it's all in the same neighborhood, right over uh, five or six blocks east of here, and a little bit um, south. Now, but do you feel that you were uh, sheltered? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. You grew up in a certain neighborhood. Mm -hmm. You went to Howard. You came mm -hmm. back. Mm -hmm. Always up. with 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 happy black people. I mean, we weren't unhappy at all. You remember the little girl out at the Missouri Historical Society that day who asked me if I ever wished I was white. Mm -hmm. Yes, <laughs> and it, it struck me that I never did. We had, we were very happy. I didn't wish to be white, and I I remember wishing very much to get in that pool, but it didn't upset me enough to cry about it. It's hard to understand that, for you to understand that, isn't it? No, uh, <laughs> but when 
Did you ever cry about it? I don't think so. I think the saddest times for me were when my children were growing up and I went and sat with them at counters. This was in the 50s, I guess. Sit-ins? Uh-huh. I remember so well uh, taking them and to a counter in Clayton at, I don't know whether, it might have been a 10 cent store. I know it was a cheap place to eat and I took them and sat with them to see what would happen. And they just ignored us. Just looked at us, didn't say yes, didn't say no, didn't say anything. I remember another time going to a place and having waitress say to me, we aren't integrated yet. <laughs> oh. And um, so I just told my children that uh, this is the way things are, and we're going to try to do something about them in a peaceful fashion. We just got up and walked away peacefully. We didn't knock anything over or say anything at all. I, I, I was timid. I was a timid person. I was not the kind that would uh, sit in front of the bank and be dragged away to jail, no. Right now, now let's let's put a time on where we are. Um, That's in the fifties. Well, no, no. Let's go back to uh, we were you were teaching school oh. in your in cottage cottage mm, cottage avenue. <laughs> and this is what year? Uh, early thirties. Early. 30s. Early thirties. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, tell me about your social life. Oh, we had a wonderful time. Let me see. Um, we were, um, that was another thing that was segregated. One week, one day in the week, Mondays, we could go on the boat. The uh, St. Paul, steamer St. Paul, pre preceded the Admiral. And that was the high spot of our social life, I remember. And again, we accepted it. Monday night was uh, Negro's uh, night at, at the at the uh, on the riverboat, and we went and um, we enjoyed it. We had our separate uh, clubs. We had nightclubs. We had. One over on the corner of, um, uh, Lin I mean, um, Enright and uh, Newstead. It's a big house now. The city treasurer, Mr. Williamson, bought the house. It was a big, uh, was a mansion, and uh, it turned it into a very genteel, very nice nightclub, and we went there. Um, we went on the boat excursions. We went to concerts. Oh, the segregation also was in the theaters. Oh, we could, the movies were banned, you know. Those who were fair-skinned went to the movies anyway, you know. Passed them. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but I never even tried. I, I didn't think I could get by. And um, we went to segregated little, little, little theaters. Uh, little neighborhood theaters. We saw the same movies about weeks later, months maybe later. But I never failed to um, be amazed at how we accepted all this, but it was just a pattern that it just took time. People, we were told often, just bide your time and behave yourself, you know, be superior get more education, act more like white folks, and maybe someday we'll get there. Act more like white folks, <laughs> yeah. And uh, uh, proper white folks. Proper white folks. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, when, when did you come in contact with 
proper white folks oh. so you could know how to act? Oh, when, um, when uh, I became, well, I didn't mean uh, how to act with each other. I meant to act for. Right. Of oh, for white folks, so no, we act properly with our own folks. I wonder you, folks. <laughs> when you got your lesson, how you got your lesson? Oh, uh, how, you mean first association yes. with white mm -hmm. people was, I was, oh, I was grown in teaching school, I guess, and somebody, a friend of mine, the one I visited in Denver last week, had a mother who was, well, she was very, very fair she could have passed for white and she was adopted by the League of Women Voters. I remember this. I think I can be thankful to the League of Women Voters and some of the great women that were associated with it who wanted to have black members. And my mother and this friend's mother and, and some other older women that we knew became members of a colored uh, branch. They weren't at first members. And I guess that was my first introduction. I was grown first association. Can't think of any other because the only job I ever had downtown, you know, we couldn't work as salespeople I was a, I worked at Famous Bar in the basement as a stock girl um, in the shoe department. That's as far as we could work in those days, was being a stock girl. Now, this was when? Because you were... Oh, this has gone back before. Oh, okay. The, this yeah, was before. when you were in high school? This was in high school. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, in so we're in the 20s. in college, in the 20s, right. Mm -hmm. All of this was, yeah, high school stuff. And we, had, and, and it goes back to the social life at little private mm -hmm. halls and in homes. You know, most of our entertainment was in homes. It wasn't, we didn't have places to go outside until we got to be, oh, past 20. And then the nightclub business came. All right, so, so you're a stock girl. Um, so that, I, I worked there and I hated it, but I worked because that's all I could find. But then later, I learned to type and I worked, uh, as in high school, I worked in, at the Y and in lawyers' offices in, in the um, summer. White? Uh, no, no, oh. black, oh. no. Because we were talking about association, how yeah. you learned to... Well, this, <laughs> uh, the, the association with whites didn't come until, until I was... Oh, out of college, I guess, mm -hmm. teaching. Were you comfortable? Not at first, no. I always went with the feeling of, with my defenses <laughs> up, I um, guess. Yeah. And I would look at people, as I still do, and, um, and try to case them and say, now, is she for real or not? Melba, am I for real? I think so. <laughs> I think so, else I wouldn't be talking with you. Are you comfortable? Yes. Oh, I'm very comfortable with, with anybody now. Mm -hmm. I mean, it has taken me many years. I, I guess maybe, maybe I was in my 40s. And, and was that in the 60s? Mm -hmm. Yeah. During the 60s, you know, I went along with the kids. I mean, my kids, I encouraged them. You grew with them. Yeah, that's it. That was it. I mean, they, uh, if I'd make a statement like, you know, uh, Miss So-and-so invited me, well, who is she? What is her track record, you know? Mm -hmm. And she, she's a phony, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? There, but there's some wonderful, wonderful uh, white friends I have here. Uh, a couple of them just got, I got a card there to send them the Schlafly's a um, congratulation. You know Adelaide Schlafly? Mm -hmm. We run into each other. We, we saw each other at grocery, the, the, at, at Straub's all the time. 
Um, well, she's yeah, a real person. Digressing again, yes, yes, she is there. Uh, Mrs. Gellhorn, that's mm -hmm. before your time. Have you heard of Edna Gellhorn, who was in the, in the, um, active in the League of Women Voters? Yes. They're few and far between, even today. Even today, no. Uh, my daughter. Oh, we don't want to get up to today. <laughs> We're getting ahead again. Yeah, no, my children helped me, and um, little by little, um, I, I felt uh, comfortable with the people. Some of the people in the, and then the church. You, how how we changed with the church is is important. Um, mm -hmm. When my children were. But here again, we're up in the 70s now. But we're talking about church. Change. Go ahead. Change. Um, we were going, uh, we were in the Episcopal Church. My children had been all baptized in the Episcopal Church. And, and my husband, however, belonged to the Methodist Church where my, he said when he came to St. Louis, he first met my mother. And that was another story too. And that she took him to her church and she was, he was going to stay in that church. Well, so he didn't go to the Episcopal Church with us. He said that we uh, got up and down off our knees too much. But the children all went to the Episcopal Church. Then one day um, uh, they came home. What are you looking for? I was just looking around. Oh, <laughs> uh, and I see that's uh, digressing again. Um, the, well, the I, I'm sorry. There was a, a picture in there. Well, actually, oh. I, I was thinking. Oh. I was uh. thinking that we hadn't. Uh, so, so that you won't think I was inattentive. I will tell you exactly and how you, my oh, mind. Oh, you're looking that how, picture. How my there. mind was yeah. working. I was thinking that I've I've been we're working up to mm. to talking about sweets. Should I call him sweets? Mm -hmm. Yeah, everybody sweet? called him sweets. Okay. <laughs> And that we hadn't really mm. touched on him at all yet, but I'm. Oh well, yeah, I, I'm, get, I'm getting plan. to my children right. without talking about my husband. Right. So then I, I was thinking yeah. that you. So then my mind mm. went to the fact that you had lived here for a number of years, mm. and then I was thinking that he also lived here. Oh yeah. <laughs> and so my mind went to that room. I turned mm -hmm. my head, and you and saw thought, that well, picture. Well, I saw the picture, and I saw the, mm -hmm. the, that, and I thought, well, maybe he worked at that desk. Mm -hmm. And all that was happening <laughs> in my mind mm -hmm. in that split second when you said to me, yeah. oh, "What are you, what are you at? looking at?" So I, I, no, I, I thought maybe there was a flyer above no, or something. No, <laughs> honestly, we all are concerned with it. But I didn't want you to think I wasn't attentive. Yeah. But that's that's how my mind well, was working. What's sticking to the church um, and its influence, the children uh, got so they weren't. Th our church was downtown. Uh, and you think I ought to turn, put the window down? The noise from the. Um, Let's see, well, all right. Noise from the from the lawnmower. Okay. Your church was downtown. Uh, yes, it was down at Garrison and Locust. Beautiful old church. It just tore it down few months ago um, and now the church is located right over here on King's Highway. I can walk to it, the All Saints Episcopal Church. And um, every Sunday I, I used to say we'd had to hear one uh, sermon about God and another one about uh, the money <laughs> to move. And uh, the children weren't interested in the church school, didn't have much of a church school. Well, at the same time, Alan Hackett was the pastor of Pilgrim, you know Pilgrim Congregational Church? And the church was in the throes of, it was a formerly a very wealthy social church. And however, there were some social-minded people there too. And so, they went through the throes of fighting over whether to stay where they were or to move as so many other uh, wealthy white churches did move farther west. And so while we have our little battle, same thing, moving from downtown out here on King's Highway for the black church, they were arguing to move away from there. 
And um, so Alan Hackett, who just died recently, you see the articles in the Post about him, very, very wonderful man. Um, uh, he led the faction, of course, in his church that said, let's stay here and become a neighborhood church. And uh, so he, I knew him, I knew his wife, but she,